So, welcome to SimTalk, a member of the Broken Jars podcast network. My name is Benjamin Schumann. I realized we hadn't had an episode in a while, and that was mostly because of Christmas and sickness. But today, we are having our very first guest, I believe, from Canada, who is one of the first employees of a company called Direction. It's a financial consulting firm that is now becoming a software development firm, and they build agent-based simulation tools that are used for asset management. Asset management. So we're going to talk about direction, we're going to talk about asset management, and we're going to talk with Frederick Fauché. Welcome to SimTalk. Hi. How are you doing today, Frederick? Uh, pretty good, pretty good. Thank you very much. Great. And I, I hear you are in, was it Montreal at the moment? Yes, Montreal. Okay, cool. Right. So, Frederick, um, we came across or, uh, across each other a few months ago, and I had never heard about Direction before. But what I heard uh, back then was super, super interesting. So I, I basically reached out to you guys and asking, would you be willing to come onto the show and actually share the kind of cool stuff you guys are doing with simulation, which is, uh, sounds pretty unique to me. So why don't we start off... Um, with you and you sharing briefly with us who you actually are and how you ended up at Direction. So then we can take it off and actually talk about the kind of stuff you guys are doing. Sure. Um, so my background, I study in finance. I have a, a master in finance. Uh, but I had a lot of friends in university uh, that was in engineering. So they introduced me to uh, programmation like MATLAB or C++ and always had an interest uh, for this. Mm -hmm. And I think this is how I came across uh, mixing mixing to finance and I'm um, going to say IT or simulation and programmation. And within the finance world, uh, when I was studying, it was more on the capital market side. Uh, the notion of simulation was already a notion that was applied uh, to calculate value at risk of stock portfolio. And I tried experimenting on my own uh, with, with my friends, with the help of my friends, and got a lot of interest on this. So this is how I came across uh, the notion of simulation. And, and, and was that, sorry for cutting in there, was that um, already like beyond the Excel-based kind of calculations that you would typically associate with that? Oh, yeah, definitely. So, so I think the first thing I coded was in uh, a C++. Mm -hmm. uh, it was actually to um, look at stock portfolio and do technical analysis on different stock and try to find an optimized strategy and look what would happen if you would apply this specific strategy to a stock portfolio. So that was a lot beyond what we've learned at school. We At school, we've learned that this was possible and there was software to be able to do this. And I remember I actually did uh, a project session on this. And when I presented this uh, to, the prof to the teacher, I remember at that time he, he had a bookshelf and software came in a little box. And he actually took the little box and said, you know, we can. I can use this, but I haven't made it because he thought that I was using something that was uh, on the market or off the shelf. And 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that hit me at that point. And yeah, I really always had an interest. I think I always always had an interest for, and even when I was younger, uh, for customizing what I did. Um, so being able to uh, program was a way for me to be able to customize my work and really tailor it to specific needs. Cool. All right. And then you, you, you graduated with your master's in finance. And what happened next then? So uh, one of my course was actually the founder of uh, Direction that gave it. So this is how we came across. Uh, at that time, um, Direction was really a startup. Uh, there were three employees. They were doing a lot of financial consulting, a lot within Excel. Uh, What time are we talking? This was in 2004. Mm-hmm. Uh, And this financial consulting was on uh, a risk-based approach. So always had the philosophy of giving decision maker um, what are they getting exposed to. So on the long term of their decision. So a, a lot at that time was made in Excel. Um, we created an uh, Excel model with Monte Carlo simulation backing it. Uh, it was a lot related to corporate finance. All right. Can you can you uh, make that can you uh, make that colorful for me? Because I'm I'm not from finance. I've never worked for like a, a financial client. And when you say okay. risk based financial consulting, what do you guys actually do? What do the clients get as a result? Okay, so you want to evaluate a project that's going to uh, last 20 years and you want to evaluate the financial profitability of this project. But there's multiple factors that you do not control. There's some that you do, but you want to see at the end what is the probability of attaining your return on investment. And when you say project, do you mean building a skyscraper or is it investing in some companies? That could be, uh, that could be both. Okay. Actually, one of the first projects that I uh, was involved uh, here uh, where we actually started coding was for uh, an engineering firm uh, that was um, constructing uh, hydro dams. Okay. So within the hydro dams, so it was more for the uh, cost estimation of the whole project. Uh, they used to work with uh, additive contingency of more than a thousand element, uh, but I think uh, contingency doesn't add. So you can not have an estimate on an element, put 10% and add all those elements to arrive to a final project cost. So because your project's exposed, it's like uh, if every specific element would go over uh, this 10%, but in reality, some are going to be more, some are going to be less. The big problem with that was that the correlation between all those elements. And when you think about correlation, and if we relate to financial markets, well, you have a lot of data points mm-hmm. that you can create some specific historical correlation. Within the construction industry, well, constru- constructing a hydro dam probably take around 10 years. Mm-hmm. So you don't have a lot of data points. And you actually don't have any data points to build some correlation matrix. But there is a relation between those elements. 
So we created a methodology that engineers were able to just put the relation binary, true or false. Is there a relation between this element and this element? Um, to create, to derive a correlation matrix that we could use to simulate um, how they would behave together. And, and when you and, say uh, combine those two elements or giving, giving the engineer the opportunity to say these two belong together, do you mean they should basically indicate, you know, if, I, if this part fails of my dam, then this other part is also going to be impacted? Is that what we're talking about? Yeah, but we were more talking about the construction. So right. if I have to dig, dig uh, I don't know, 100 feet deeper, well, uh, it's going to cost a lot more to fill in that hole. Mm -hmm. So what, what's the relation uh, between them? So uh, like you said, the, the example that you said would be more on the operation mode, but it's the same principle in, uh, in the construction uh, construction phase mm -hmm. where how would they relate to each other and having more than a thousand elements well it's you cannot create a binary correlation matrix with all those elements so actually what we did we created some specific family grouped them together had them uh, create those binary correlation matrix mm -hmm. by family and after correlate the family and to be able to arrive at what would be a specific project cost, and at the end, being able to evaluate a notion of contingency based on their risk tolerance. So now the board was able to say, so that specific project, I want to be 70% sure that I'm in my cost, so this would be the contingency that I would take on this specific project. So those were, those were the kind of mandate that we started with. Mm -hmm. uh, continuing on this uh, so we started with the construction risk but after you had to evaluate the financial profitability of those projects so uh, one of the big risks of um, of a hydro dam is the hydrology and afterward what's the market price at what price will I sell it and electricity price and I don't know how it is in Europe and in North America or extremely extremely volatile. Um, so there was a big risk on this. So merging construction risk with the operation, the hydrology, the market price uh, to be able here again for, um, for the board being able to approve a project. But when they approve a project, they knew what was the risk that they were getting at mm -hmm. and be able to say that type of project, all right, I'm ready to have one chance or two of hitting my target or no this type of project i want to be sure 90 percent of the time so is there actually a, a a dam somewhere in north america that was built in 2004 because of your correlation matrix that oh there was the, 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 there was multiple dam that was approved on that specific methodology okay. so in quebec we have hydro quebec that has more than 100 dams uh, across quebec Ooh. Um, oh. So that has always been uh, one of our big clients. Uh, so even if it was for an engineering firm, it was related to Hydro-Quebec. And we pushed it, pushed it, pushed it, pushed it. Um, and at the end, even, so I talked about the construction risk. Afterwards, evaluating the financial profitability of this construction risk. Mm -hmm. And 
at the end for Hydro-Quebec that they had more than 100 dams. They had a commercial strategy on how to sell their water and how aggressive they, they want to be. Uh, good thing about a, a hydro dam is you can see it as a battery. You can store energy. So that was a big advantage, but uh, you had to be careful because you want to keep a certain level um, of energy in your dams at any point of time. But when price are good, how aggressive should I be on the market? Uh, when price are bad and my level of water is high, should I sell it at low price? So being able to evaluate those strategy, because in Quebec we're connected to um, seven other markets. Uh, so taking into account those dams, the hydrology of, uh, of the whole territory, the seven specific market that we were able to export, and one of the constraints was the transmission line that we were able to export. So building a multi-year strategy uh, was one of the end projects that uh, we did with them. So I want to a question. If I would decide to build a dam today, a medium-sized normal dam in Quebec, when, yeah. how long would it take until I get my money back, until uh, actual profit starts pouring out of it? Uh, a dam today, mm -hmm. probably 20 to 30 years. Okay. And then, you know, what would the, what is the general order of magnitude of the hour island? Pardon me? What is the general order of magnitude for the return on investment? You know, how much am I going to get back? Uh, usually you're looking at 15%. Okay. That's, that sounds really good, actually. <laughs> So, yeah, no, no, they're nice projects. So um, share with us then how you went from this, uh, you know, WISP-based correlation matrix financial consulting firm to where you are today, 14 years later. Yep. So this was the initial of the company. We did multiple mandates like this, really specific. Uh, at start, it was in Excel. We started build custom application uh, for this for the client with a simulation, purely simulation engine that we coded in uh, uh, in C++ or um, in uh, VBNet at the, at the time. Mm -hmm. um, but they were really specific for each client. They were not reusable, there was too tailored. So we built, I don't know, maybe 30 or 40 applications like this. So the team ramped up. We started to get more IT people because I didn't have an IT background, um, even if I did a lot at the beginning, but uh, we had our limitation on this. Uh, but building the capability of the company, we were able to do uh, better and better software. But I think it was about six or seven years ago that we took the decision that, all right, so it was really hard to maintain having multiple uh, clients like this, multiple mm -hmm. specific application. So we decided to go a bit more generic. So we had two specific applications that we have built that we saw the potential to uh, be applied on a wider scale. And this is where we started transition of being in service to go into product. Yeah. And uh, one of this um, application or platform, and you can see it as a modeling platform uh, at the end, 
that we call infra. It's a lot. It's used a lot in into infrastructure, uh, but we're able to touch other market than than infrastructure. Uh, but really, was to be the goal was to give a non-programmer or engineer that didn't have background in uh, in coding the ability to evaluate their financial um, financial performance and financial strategy on the long term on how could they manage their asset. So our typical clients, they uh, have 100,000 of assets. Mm-hmm. Uh, power utility would be one of uh, sector, municipality would be uh, another one where you have uh, 100,000 kilometers of roads that you have to maintain. You have a lot of information on each specific segment of roads. You have all their attributes that usually are in their GIS, but they're not able to compute or forecast how those roads are going to age and what should I do on those roads in the future, how much it's going to cost, and what else should I do on those roads. So... So with that, it means basically you you can now go to a client with that tool and say, uh, you know, sit one of your engineers on this and he should be able to enter this kind of information. Then he clicks play and the tool gives us some results or how does it work? Okay. So AFCA today, the information is linked. So they have the information, which is in ACP and GIS, or they have the asset registry. So we link to the asset registry to get this initial information on what they know in their specific assets. So this is the first part. And, and you help the them with part. that. So it's, it's not like, you know, you, you sit down together with them and look at their data and, and then help them get it into the actual tool. Yeah, exactly. Because okay. each client will have different set of data, different type of information that they want to gather. Yes. Um, so the second part is how is each specific asset is going to age or is going is going to evolve in time. Um, so this is where uh, simulation comes in play is uh, there's a lot of uncertainty how aging of assets going to go in time. So building those models, and this is the platform enabled the client to build their specific model that they want. They usually have a knowledge on how it's going to age, so they're able to, uh, I'm going to say, map their knowledge of uh, this process within the tool. Mm-hmm. Uh, so once they have how their specific asset is going to age, the second part is how am I going to manage those assets? So we use decision tree, decision tree, or combinatorial analysis to map their process on how they want to manage those assets. And this is, here again, really visual, really user-friendly, click and drag. They're able to create their own specific policy. What's going to trigger a road rehabilitation? What's going to trigger a road reconstruction? They can create as much as they can. It can be really simple or they can get extremely complex. And at the end, uh, you have some specific action, let's say road reconstruction. There's some risk or uncertainty on the cost on how much it's going to cost. Um, and they're able to run simulation like this. They're able also to create policy on how those assets will interact together. So if you think of a road, sewer, and water main uh, that, are, that are in the same right-of-way, 
Well, mm -hmm. if you redo your road, you're going to ask your question is, well, should I change my sewer? It's maybe not due today, but maybe in five years I will have to change it. So if you do your road today and you have to open up your street in five years to change your sewer, you're destructing a lot of financial value on your portfolio. So how can you create some policy to try to synchronize those specific assets together? It sounds so, like you need to join my local, uh, my city, because that seems to be what they're doing all the time, whipping up a road, changing something, closing it at the end, and then one year later they remember, oh, this is another pipe we have to fix now. <laughs> so they whip yeah, it up. Well, it definitely. So it's having the insight of what's going to happen on other assets that are related to their, to them, and what's the risk that they're able to take on those specific assets? Because some you might be able to take some risks. You want to run to failures. Some others you won't have any risk tolerance on it, so you won't accept any specific failure. So how can you create policy that would represent this and be able to evaluate? in time and when i say in time it's in the next five ten and fifty years what's going to be the impact of this strategy and why do we go as far as this is if you only look at the next five years well you can do some action today that's going to destruct some value in the future or you can do some action that seems to be good today but you're creating a financial tsunami in 15 years i <laughs> That reminds me actually, uh, when I was studying in England, uh, one of the there was a new road uh, on the university campus. They just paved it new. And I met this university professor, transport professor, and he was basically saying, this is shit, this is gonna be broken in two years. Like he knew the kind of uh, material they used and he knew it's gonna be broken in two years. It's gonna be even worse than before. So that's exactly that. Um, I wanted to backtrack uh, a little bit, um, just to go a little deeper. You said, you know, the initial part of the of using the tool is actually putting in the data. You, if you have a yep. hundred thousand roads, how do they age over time? Now, what I, I'm thinking, being the devil's advocate, then if I would be uh, your potential client, I would say, well, I could do this in Excel, couldn't I? I know how my different road segments age. Why don't I just do that in Excel, and then I can see, you know, when I should when I should repair stuff here and there. So why do sure. you why do you go for simulation? Perfect. Uh, well, first, because of the notion of uncertainty. Uh, so the aging process of those assets is uh, really uncertain. Mm -hmm. And even if you could do something in Excel, and actually the first prototype we did was in Excel, but for each asset we needed one, one tab in Excel. Um, and <laughs> it took a shitload, uh, shitload uh, <laughs> of time. Um, to, to calculate, and you're limited also on the capacity of what's the level of complexity. When I was talking about how do assets integrate together, well, that's getting, you cannot really do this in Excel with a big volume uh, of asset. Yeah. And here again, when you have 100,000, uh, you might be able to pull it, uh, might be, uh, with a simple model, but when you get into numbers where you have multiple millions of assets, well, Excel is not cutting anymore. And um, also, clients are getting more and more evolved. Uh, they need something that is user-friendly, uh, that can adapt 
extremely rapidly that had to be transparent, maintainable, and auditable also, because you're talking at the end of the day of multiple million of dollars that they invest each year. So they have to be able to justify the methodology um, to their shareholders, to regulators, and um, to prove that their decision-making is data-driven, and that makes sense. Cool. So um, let's stick with the example of the vote uh, owner, you know, he's got a hundred thousand votes, whatever. Um, yep. So he's put in the data and, uh, you know, the information of how the different vote segments age. And you said they can also then put in these um, cross references. You know, if, if this vote is broken, that means this water pipe is also broken. Or if we repair this water pipe, we need to repair this kind of vote. So how, tell me, talk me through how that actually works. What kind of um, level of detail can you, can you add to, the, to those models? Oh, you can go extremely, extremely detailed. So in municipality, I, I would say it usually stay uh, quite simple. Um, but if you get in uh, energy sector and power utilities, transport and distribution, the management of those assets gets a lot more complicated. So decision trees are a representation of different uh, criteria that would lead to a specific action. And you can have decision tree that has over 100 criteria with over uh, 50 different intervention at the end. And this is only for one asset type, uh, or let's say only for transformers, and only on the trigger on how to maintain a specific transformer. But at the end, I think we have some client that have over 300 decision trees within their models. Mm -hmm. So, and we we see it also uh, for the client a way to digitalize their expertise. This is the mm -hmm. way that they manage. So it's a way to auto document yeah, the way they beautiful. do it, to standardize the way they do it across the organization because this is often a problem. So each sector or each people have different trigger on what to do, when to do it. Um, and based on their own specific risk tolerance and not the risk tolerance of the organization. So being able to standardize that way and being able to forecast what would be the impact in the future if we change the way we do things. So actually, um you know, you could set up a decision tree saying for this transformer of type X, normally every yep. six months send around somebody inspecting. If he finds that the transformer is in state Y, then do this. But if he finds it's in state Z, then do this. And you can, you know, make this as complex as you like. Exactly. Exactly. So sustainability or replacement or I'm going to say the first step, what are the trigger to replace one? Uh, maintenance is the other one, and I would say the more complex one is uh, the inspection. And when I say inspection, it seems, so yes, you ha can have a time-based inspection, but when you're going to inspect, now, based on all what you know on this specific transformer, what is the probability that will find defect? Mm -hmm. uh, defect of type 1, defect of type 2, of type 3. Um, and based on if I find a specific defect, what should I do to maintain it? If I don't inspect, well, that defect will probably appear. But if I haven't inspected, I won't know it. 
and this defect will only increase in time and will lead to a failure at one point in time. So being able to evaluate those strategy, and this is, uh, this is a good example, should I inspect, should I not inspect, this goes uh, with IoT. What is the uh, financial profitability of having IoT? Uh, well, it's actually having inspection in real time. So for some, uh, some, for some, some business cases, it's really worth it, having more precise information. In other business case, well, I don't need that level of sophistication or level of um, real-time data to take good decision. One, so those are all things that are able to experiment and test. Yeah. One thing I could imagine that you see very often with your clients then is that you sit down with them, you've got the, the, the assets into the model, and now it's the question, so how do you actually behave? How often do you go to this transformer and actually check it? And then, you know, yep. the chief engineer is going to say, oh, it's very clear. Every three years we send somebody out. But does it happen that when you actually speak to the people on the ground or something, they tell you something completely different and all hell breaks loose? How do you, how do you handle oh, yeah. this kind of thing? Well, no, definitely this always happens. So usually in the first discussion is the best, best practices or what they wish they would do. Mm -hmm. And at the end, uh, so you run some first simulation, you look at the results, the results are not making any sense. Oh, no, we haven't done this, we haven't done this. You readapt, you readjust. And what's, what's great about the platform is the client is able to do it on their, on their own. So right. they're calibrating uh, their specific scenario. And that was always part of our philosophies uh, since the start is that the client has to be independent. We had to create a tool that is user-friendly enough that they can do it without us. Mm -hmm. uh, so they're able to calibrate their scenarios as they wish, uh, but the example that you give is extremely relevant and it almost always happen. So, uh, but client readjusts, they try to mimic what happened in the past and calibrate their result on the last year. And afterwards, they go on it and they change, uh, change the strategy. So the first step is reproduce what's happening today. But afterwards, I'm going to say it's to optimize the strategy. All right, what could I do different to get better results? So for the same level of performance, how can I reduce my costs? Or for the same costs, how can I get better performance or less risk? Yeah. So how long does it actually t uh, take to, to train clients to do this then? To be, become independent? How much effort is it? Uh, uh, a client uh, would be independent within a month. Of like one one-to-one -one time. So one direction consultant sits down with one person of the client and after one month he or she is independent yeah. to go ahead and do the stuff. Yeah, cool. and it's not, it's not even a, a pure training of, of, of a month. I would say the training is maybe three days, and afterwards, within a month, we do the integration with them, and uh, after a month, they're good to go on their own. And have you ever found that the, the validation phase that you mentioned, where first you start off by implementing the rules that you think you're doing, then you realize that the results don't make any sense. Let's readjust uh, until we can actually reproduce the past. 
Do you ever find yep. that clients are basically not able to do that, not able to uh, get the tool to reproduce the past because, uh, because something? Uh, well, it, it's not all clients that want to go there. Some clients know that what they're doing at, uh, right now is not necessarily uh, the best of breed, and they don't want to reproduce this, and they go right away to this is what we should do. Okay. But, yeah, the cal calibrating part is, uh, it is a, not a hard part, but it's a time-consuming time part. Yeah. And then and it all depends also of, of what they want to do uh, when they want to create a specific business case of why they want to do this. Well, you don't have the choice to reproduce the uh, the base case. Yeah, that's a good point. So so let's say either they, they don't want to reproduce it or they have succeeded in calibrating the past and now can move forward. Um, Obviously, they can then put in like the future rules, you know, this is how we would like to behave in the future and see the, the difference and the improvement in, in performance. But is yeah. there also uh, an optimization engine where they could basically say, dear tool, can you actually tell us how we should review stuff, how we should uh, manage our assets? So, uh, actually, we don't do optimization. The optimization process, I would say, is a more iterative process. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we thought about it. We could do it probably on really simple case, but when I was talking to you earlier about um, here uh, a transmission company that has more than 300 um, decision trees that represent more than 25, um, I think it's 25,000 criteria uh, at the end of those 300 decision trees that are linked together, the optimization process would be uh, extremely, extremely painful. I also, um, I had a similar sort of, I had a client who approached me recently, built a simulation model, and they wanted, well, basically asked, can we wrap an optimization around that and get the best output? Uh, and I basically had to tell them something similar. First of all, you know, it's going to be computationally very expensive, but also um, it doesn't make sense. You know, you have a simulation tool just like yours that represents reality quite nicely. You can use it to yep. look into the future. And now you can use it to test your ideas. But if you use exactly. optimization, it's going to come up with something really, really good that you could never implement in reality because there's so many... Uh, nuances and it just would not make sense to even go there so it's much better to just stick with scenario yeah. testing is that yeah, no uh, for direction yeah I totally totally relate with this um, often uh, optimization at the end you can see it as a black box so you should do this 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 but you're not able to justify why should I do this because it was part of the optimization process so we're from the from the start having uh, transparent, auditable, uh, and not only this. It how can I say it? Uh, clients recognize that the fact that they're able to audit, go step by step, really know, go through the decision trees on each year, pick one specific asset. Oh, this is why. Uh, road reconstruction was triggered this year. This is why we replaced that sewer that year. Uh, it built a lot of confidence within the tool and met the methodology. 
versus if you have a more black box approach of optimization that just tell you, no, replace that specific row that year, and you're not able to justify it, well, it's hard to get that level of confidence. Yeah. How easy is it actually in the tool to find out those causal root causes? Um, typically, when I build a simulation model and something happens and the client wants to know, why did this happen? Uh, I need to dig deep and actually figure out, yeah. okay, well, this caused this and this caused this and then this happened. And it, eventually, this was the reason why your event happened. So how easy yeah. is it to backtrack that in, in your tool? I would say it's pretty easy. Uh, we build the interface. So, so you have the BI for the result high level. Uh, but we build part of the interface uh, of the result almost as a debug uh, in, um, in coding. So, uh, and I'm not sure I'm clear here, but uh, you know, when you code, you can go and debug, go line by line, see exactly what you have. Mm -hmm. While within the visual interface, you can do exactly the same thing. So let's say you take one specific road, you're able to drill down to that specific road, see all the attribute, all the calculation that are done each year, go through all the decision trees year by year and see exactly what was triggered, triggered by the other one. So this transparency create a lot of confidence to the client. Mm -hmm. And also for auditors of those organizations, and when they're um, regulated, well, it's often used with the regulator as a tool to justify what they're doing. And this is this transparency part. How, how interactive is the tool while it's actually executing? Is it, is it completely oh. uh, opaque and you just get the end results after 10,000 runs? Or can you actually let it play through one specific one over the next 50 years and you see, you see how things are deteriorating and being repaired? Yeah, so, so this would, well, while, it, while it's simulating, it's in calculation mode, so you don't have access to it. But when you have the result, we, we save every, every, every calculation. So mm -hmm. uh, in some case, we have more than 10 billion uh, data points for uh, the whole simulation. So you can drill down to each specific asset and see exactly what happened year by year or uh, time step by time step to be able to um, validate exactly what happened. And how big a data file is that? Uh, Pretty big. Uh, we're talking uh, uh, multiple gigs. And so is the tool cloud-based or how do you manage that technically? Yes. Uh, well, you have multiple options. Uh, it could be hosted on the client side, uh, but you, we usually uh, provide the hardware uh, in that case. Mm -hmm. uh, we can host it for them on a dedicated server or it could be on uh, AWS. Right. And how, in how far would you say is this then an agent-based simulation? How, how do you actually, you know, how is it working under the hood? Uh, I might not be the best person to answer this, um, but uh, when you're talking agent-based, so each specific asset will uh, be managed independently and afterwards interacting with others depending on the links that they have or mm -hmm. the model that was created for them. Right. So, so they're basically little uh, independent entities. They make their own decisions based on those decision trees that you've given them. They, yep. they check their neighbors or whoever they're connected to 
and that that influences their performance right exactly with global constraint uh, that you can put at any specific level of hierarchy and uh, so I think that would answer the, uh, the definition of agent base, right? Yeah, I, I didn't want to put you on the spot. I'm not like an... Uh, no, 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 that's right. <laughs> I know that that's in academia, right. no there, there are very strict definitions for what an agent can or cannot be, but I'm not convinced of all that. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds very agent. Yeah, and, and we're... And here again, it's an open modeling platform, uh, as I said in the beginning. So we started, I think, a year and a half ago in a new sector in tele telecommunication, uh, where really interesting, where definitely they had the net their network that they had to maintain, their fiber network, but they also included customers. So each customer is modeled, this, and this is based on marketing assumptions. Uh, what's the behavior of consumption on the network, on internet, on TV, on the phone, uh, what's their uh, elasticity to price, mm -hmm. uh, to competition, and to technology. And bringing infrastructure and customer together, they're now able to put strategy on what specifically should I upgrade my network, knowing that I have those customer at the end. Uh, and evaluate if it's financially uh, sound to put fiber to the home or should I only put a technology that is uh, less performance but I won't extract all the value from the customer if I do it. So we're now more and more merging the customer behavior with, um, with the infrastructure part and we're also starting, uh, we started last week in the banking industry, uh, also modeling customer behavior for what they call customer lifetime value. So evaluate mm -hmm. how much a customer is worth. Uh, it's, and it's not necessarily evaluate how much a customer is worth. It's the next step. So what can I do now, now that I know that, let's say, Benjamin, as today, you're worth I don't know, a thousand bucks for me, mm -hmm. right? What can I do to influence your behavior so that you can be worth 110 bucks for me tomorrow? So this is marketing assumptions. Uh, what type of promotion can I give you? Uh, what type of marketing um, exposure should I give you to increase your value? Yeah, and this is really nicely ties in now why I thought this would be so interesting for this podcast. Because when I heard all of this the first time, I really thought these guys are really not a consulting firm anymore. It looks like these guys are creating a simulation platform that is very versatile. That's not, you know, just limited to asset management anymore. So, and how far do you, do you guys actually see that yourself? Do you see yourself as a, as a simulation vendor or is that something you're not even thinking about? Uh, we're not really thinking about it. Um, so we're exploring multiple markets, uh, exploring with big clients how we can help them. And at the end of the day is how can we help them make better decisions? Yeah. And how can they own also uh, the platform, the methodology, so they're being able to make it evolve on their own without having any coding expertise behind yeah. Uh, we really like to have the 
end user, the user that has the knowledge to do the modeling part. Uh, why? Because uh, what we found uh, working in consulting and, um, and before is when it goes through an IT process, so you have the expert that goes through the business analyst to go to the IT, well, it's never what you had intended at the end. The uh, uh, process loop is so long that those projects never end, so it's not efficient. So, so this is why we wanted to have the end user being able to do this specific modeling. I really like the vision. Um, and I'd be interested to hear how that is actually working out. So how do the end users respond to the tool? Do they feel comfortable with it? And how do they work together? Because I could imagine with a, if you have a company with 100,000 assets, there are going to be multiple end users working on the tool in parallel. So how is all that working? Okay. So, uh, and it's not that much. Usually, even our biggest client might have 10 end users. Okay. Uh, why? Because we, more, we work more on the strategic side. Yeah. So the strategic plan. So it's not a, the day-to-day. Uh, so if it would be more day-to-day -day decisions, well, at the end, probably we would have a lot more of users, uh, but they would more consume the results. But the person that do the modeling, usually it's between three and 10 people within big organization. Right, okay. And, but could they work on the tool in parallel if it's, um, you know, if it's oh, yeah. deployed? Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, no, yeah, definitely. Uh, so they can create their models. You can create as much model as you want, and you can run as much simulation as you want, consult the result, explore them, create your plans with this. Uh, yeah, they can work in parallel with it. It's multi-user. So from the capabilities that you've outlined, um, the tool sounds very much like a tool that you could actually deploy as an, as an operating tool, uh, not just for strategic decision-making, but actually day-to-day decision-making. So is, that, is, yes. is it done, or do you see that it's going to be done, or do you not want to have anything to do with it? Well, all right. Uh, so I think our client that would be more operational or tactical uh, would be uh, the management of a truck fleet. So they're using it to uh, which truck should come in and what should be done in the truck. So they mm -hmm. used to work more on a, a time base, uh, so you come for a, for your oil change, and when you come for your for your oil change, well, the mechanic is going to inspect, and he's going to call back. All right, come back in two weeks to change your brake. Come back in uh, to change your lights. So now they're able to do some some forecasting based on the specific component, and here again synchronize. So I know you have to come for your oil change. Now it's not time based, but it's use based. Um, and knowing that your break should be done in uh, four weeks without having the mechanics looking at it because I know uh, when you last came in and I know your millage since we last changed it, you're, they're able to synchronize uh, all those interventions in one and bundle it. So on their side, they were able to reduce from 25% the number of time they come to the garage per year. So that's that was a big uptime for them. Mm -hmm. uh, so this is one that is more, I'm going to say, uh, operational. Uh, and yes, we could go at time. 
and here again, usually in infrastructure, we're talking about years, but it's a time period, right? The time period could be in minutes, could be in seconds, depending on the problem. So depending on what we're exploring and uh, the client that we meet and the business issue that they have, uh, yes, definitely I think it could be used on a more uh, operational level. Very cool. So have you actually had the case where a client is using your tool uh, he's made you know some really good insights on how they should change their strategy in the future their asset management strategy and now they want to implement that new cool strategy into their existing asset you know their live asset management tools where they uh, you know have keep track of how are the different assets managing at the moment how do yep. can you support them with that transition as well and how does yep. that work? so so based on the results uh, that they have uh, we're able to export um, all what should be done within the next three years and this is their starting point for their planning and what should be done for so for each asset what type of information should be done and this is the starting point of the planning team that would plan the work that has to be done in the next two three years got it all right cool um, so let's talk a little bit um, about the future then. Where is direction headed? What are your sort of your own strategic plans of where you want to go? How do you want to improve the tool? How do you want to change or improve the client base? What's happening? What's in store? Okay, so uh, right now we're, so historically we always had the open modeling platform. Um, now we're still keep, uh, pushing on the open modeling platform because we're able to address multiple issues. Uh, but something that we're looking at is having a more product for specific industry with built-in, I'm gonna say, models that are already exist just to facilitate from for smaller client that doesn't have necessarily the expertise how those assets gonna evolve, what type of decision tree should I put. Mm -hmm. So to have a more user-friendly and uh, de-risk uh, their decision and uh, having more available. So this is uh, one part of the strategy and continue to explore other fields, uh, other sectors, and um, that's the other part of the strategy. Another thing that we're looking at uh, more closely is how to connect to uh, IoT and AI. Um, because a lot has been done uh, there. There's some big IoT projects that are created, uh, but how can we leverage those specific uh, data? And this, um, we're looking, let's say, in RHEL. Uh, okay. Putting IoT in RHEL costs multiple, multiple million dollars. Uh, definitely help for day-to-day, -day, uh, but how can all this information that was gathered can help for a more long-term strategic uh, planning and on the AI side so how can we uh, incorporate uh, models of clients for AI uh, what we saw is often AI is able to address one small specific problem really well but not in a holistic way so if you're looking at a strategy of a company you cannot have an AI model that's going to tell you uh, what's going to be the business impact of your uh, whole organization in 10 years. 
first, you don't have the data point to calibrate this. Um, and there's too much complexity to go there. And at the end, it's a black box. But how can you have some really small specific model, let's say the behavior of one specific asset? Mm -hmm. Are you still there? Yep. So sorry, there was a, there was a little disconnect now. So uh, we're back here. And we were just talking about um, how to implement IoT and AI into the platform. And Frederick, I was wondering with IoT, uh, the little knowledge that I have is that they are developing, people are developing these kind of, um, well, what are they called? Rule-based approaches to it or, or, or um, platforms that everybody should use, standards, that's what I meant. Communication standards, behavioral standards, and these kind of things. Nobody knows which one is going to be the winning one, but are you saying that basically you want to be able to include those into your tool as well, so that you can easily say use this standard, use that standard? No, uh, no. So it, it's not how we don't want to implement IoT within the platform, but we want to consume IoT data within the platform. Oh, right. Okay. And when you say uh, allow, you know, machine learning in there. Again, what do you mean exactly? Like if we talk about one asset, I, do you say let's allow this client machine learning model that is really good at predicting when it's going to fail? Yeah. Okay, got it. So, you know, how, how do you want to do that? Should that? Are you having difficulties implementing that with a user-friendly approach or what are your challenges there? Well, usually it's the data points. If we're talking about infrastructure, you don't have that much data points. So, so they haven't been collected information for that long. Mm -hmm. And uh, based on the lifespan of those assets, well, it takes time to collect a good volume of quality data. And that's where the machine learning could that help. Is that what you're saying? Yep, exactly. Cool. And just to wrap it up, um, I'd be interested like, to hear a little bit more about Direction today. So how many people are you and, and who are your clients? Where do you typically work? Okay, so uh, today we're, uh, we're around 50, 50 people. We're still all based in Montreal. Mm -hmm. uh, our initial client base was a lot in Quebec. Uh, but we're starting. We started last year to expand out of uh, out of Quebec. So we're now a bit more in the United States, in Europe. Uh, we're starting with uh, big players. Uh, I won't. I won't say any client's name, but no uh, uh, getting there in multiple sectors. Uh, a lot of PNU. We're working a lot with partners, uh, partner consulting firms uh, that has expertise, that has relationship with the client. And for them, they can use the tool uh, as a service to deliver value to the client or also help implementing the tools. And it's really complementary to the, the, the service that they offer. And, and how do you, what's your competition doing? Are there other similar firms that have developed their own simulation platforms or are others just not using simulation? Uh, there's... 
so on the simulation part, uh, we're the only that does simulation. Mm -hmm. uh, there's other other software in asset management, uh, but I would say they're more out of the box. You cannot tailor it really as you wish, so you're limited to what uh, to what asset management is. And more and more, I think is how can you take into account the business strategy and the business goals and other factors that are not necessarily asset related. So the example that I gave you in telecommunication a bit earlier is a great example of this. So uh, yes, there's the infrastructure, but how do you base your strategy is based on customers, right? So how can you create some of those specific models and be able to integrate it with it? Uh, we're seeing the same thing that is coming um, in electric utility where more and more households are getting to produce energy with solar panel, with battery that are putting back energy in the grid. So that's going to affect incredibly how they're going to manage their assets. So they're, they're going to have to be able to take this into account. So I think the notion of open modeling platform has some big plus uh, to be able to address better, bigger uh, business issue for the client. Very good words uh, to wrap it up, I would say. Um, so for me, this was super, super interesting because um, it's, you know, you see yourself as, as, a, as a software developer that is in the asset management. But I really see you, or from what I hear and from what I've seen, I I'd actually see you as a simulation vendor. So I'll be very curious to see, maybe in five years' time we speak again, and see where you guys are. But I, I would invite you to, if you haven't done so already, go out there and actually check out some of the pure simulation tools out there and see, you know, what can they do? Where are we better? Maybe where are they better? You'll probably be inspired and, and uh, you know, be inspired what you could also do. I think you could, yeah. you know, you could, you could already go onto the market and and be a good competitor there already. It sounds really flexible, which is good, flexible and user friendly. Yes. Great, Frederick. It's been such a pleasure. Um, thanks for coming on to the show today. Uh, all the best for Direction. I hope it uh, it develops the way you guys wanted. But it sounds like you're on a on a good track. Thank you very much, Benjamin. It's been a pleasure talking with you, and uh, I'm sure we'll have the chance to chat again really soon. Thanks. All the best.